On the field, inside the clubhouse, and everything in between. This is Brewers Weekly. Here's Dominic Catronio. 14 and 5. 14 and 5. Not a single one of you expected that. No chance. No chance. Same with me, quite frankly, to be honest. I mean, I was looking at it at the start of the season, these first six series. I, I even tweeted it, and I quoted it in yesterday on Twitter. Like, hey, this is, I tweeted it in March. These first six series are the hardest, or the third hardest by projected opponents win total in the National League. And they now have the second best record in the National League. What a start for the Brewers. Now, as we talk about and enjoy this start, let's, I've already said this a handful of times on postgame shows, We've seen this movie before. <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I'm not trying to be a, a Debbie Downer here. 50 games in last year, they had the best record in franchise history. They were rolling. Things were great. Everyone was healthy. Things of that nature. To give you an idea of where we are in the season, we are barely past 10% of the way through the season, right? 19 games in. So... In, in theory, you're in the first quarter of an NBA game. You're you know at the seven minute mark of the first quarter of an NBA game, or you're in the you know maybe in the middle of the second inning in a baseball game, right? We have so much baseball to go. That doesn't mean you can't get excited because there is a lot to be excited about with this team right now. We're going to talk each facet of the game in this show. What's gone well? What needs improvement? And what has surprised? And what has really motivated and really kept things going for the Brewers by each facet. We're going to talk about the offense in the next segment. Uh, we're going to talk about pitching in the segment following that, and then the defense. Man, I could go for hours on the defense. We're going to talk around baseball, too. With today being an off day, we're going to talk around the league, what's going down. A lot of Max Scherzer news popping off right as we're coming onto the air here today. If there's stuff that you want to talk about, you want to chime in on 855-616-1620. Again, 855 616 one six twenty. That's the old National Bank talking text line. Old National Bank, get old. When I look at this team, you know, I, I said this earlier in the week. Every day, it's been someone different providing. Right in the first week of the season, it was all about the rookies. The rookies coming in and making an impact and showing off what they can do. The second week, it was all about the pitching. Right, the pitching absolutely dominated. Corbin Burns got back on track. Colin Ray surprised some folks. There was a lot to like from the pitching. And in this final week, the veterans have come back alive. Roddy Telez doing great work. Christian Yelich had a solid series in Seattle as well. There's a little bit of something from everybody popping up. And I also want to give credit to the entire coaching staff, especially Craig Council, of course. But you have these runs of a team where it just looks like they're playing with absolute confidence, right? They're excited to get to the get to the at bats. Excited to see who's going to be the guy to come through in that day, right? We saw Garrett Mitchell with the walk off homer. We'll have injury updates here as well. Not not heavy injury updates, just because obviously today was an off day. We'll learn more tomorrow at the ballpark. But Garrett Mitchell getting off to a great start, and it's been a next man up mentality all season long. Because for a while there, it felt like they were dropping like flies, right? It seemed like every other day. Somebody was getting hurt for the Brewers. And look, Luis Arias is not coming back for a while. Brandon Woodruff is not coming back for a while. Tyrone Taylor's probably going to start a rehab assignment at some point by early next week. So he's on his way back. We'll need to wait to learn more about Mitchell. 
Then you're going to have to wait and learn more about Adrian Hauser on his rehab outings. And Aaron Ashby's still a long way away, but it sounds like the early returns from his arthroscopic cleanup have gone really well. And he's feeling pain-free and things of that nature, but it still just takes a long process whenever you're talking about the shoulder. There is belief that Aaron Ashby could be pitching by the end of the season, which is great. But these next couple of weeks here, really a couple of months, with Brandon Woodruff being out with a grade two subscap strain, uh, a big, a major muscle in the rotator cuff. These are going to be some serious gut check times because Colin Ray pitched very well these last two starts. Who else is going to step up? Does Jansen Junk come back up from AAA? Do you stretch out Bryce Wilson? Do you stretch out Adrian Hauser on his way back? Because having Burns and Peralta is a whole lot different than having Burns Woodruff Peralta to make things easier on everybody else. And the good news right now is the fact that the Brewers are not about to hit a stretch of off days. So obviously off today. They'll play six games in a row, then off next Thursday as well, then play three more games in a row, and then another off day the following Monday before starting another West Coast trip to Colorado and to San Francisco. They're in a good spot to absorb this for the time being as far as making sure Hauser can come back ready to go. Do you decide to extend uh, Wilson out if needed, or do you bring up junk? That sort of thing. Almost nobody can absorb a Brandon Woodruff out for two months, no matter what the team is. But at least in the immediate future, while the Brewers are getting more arms on their way back, not Brandon Woodruff quality to say the least, but there is an opportunity for them to kind of own this, figure out a plan, a path moving forward, and make sure that Woodruff's going to be okay. And Woodruff said so. He's going to take his time with this injury, and he should, quite frankly. If the team's going to keep winning with him gone, right, and you know you have him taking his time with a fully healthy Brandon Woodruff returning, let's say, in a conservative estimate, July, you know, mid-late July after the All-Star break, and you know he's healthy coming back, and remember, you're going to be pitching a few more innings in October as well. These things matter when it comes to the thought of pitching in the postseason is the main thing of how you're going to have success, right? If you have Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta healthy in the postseason, I can't think of many teams in the National League that's going to beat them. It's just a matter of will the offense show up. Just being completely honest. There's a reason they're 14-5. and There are a lot of multiple ways to do that. The Brewers, we're going to talk about their offense, a very balanced approach, get you into some of the, the advanced numbers here as well, talk about what's gone well, what hasn't gone well, what they are looking to improve upon, as the Boston Red Sox are coming to town over the weekend. Take a quick breather. Stay with us. This is Brewers Extra Innings. Welcome back. I'm Dom Catronio. This is Brewers Weekly, most Thursday nights throughout the season. Of course, when there's no conflict like a Brewers or Bucks game, I believe that'll be the case next Thursday night uh, as well. There is a Bucks game that's going to kick us off the air, so we're going to take next week off. But uh, we'll be back the following Thursday, depending on the Bucks schedule, once they move on and pass these heat. Yes, I'm saying that already. I am not jinxing it. It's going to happen. All right, so let's let's just be prepared for all that. 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620. The Old National Bank talking text line. Old National Bank. Get old. Want to get to the phone line here to the WTMJ hotline. Want to get to Ricky and Honey Creek joining us on the show. Hi there, Ricky. What's on your mind? Hey, I just wanted to say how proud of this Brewers team so far. Never expect them to have a 14-5 record, 
so far one of the best teams in baseball this this year. I just want to say, um, Luke Voigt, he's been coming up big so far this year. Uh, four RBIs, he's been coming up with good hits. And uh, Joey Weimer, he's a, in his rookie year, he was really struggling, one of 32, and then uh, getting a couple of hits against Seattle in that final game. I just want to talk about that final game in Seattle. The bottom of the ninth inning, Brewers almost blowing the game. Uh, it was 5-3, the bases loaded, only one out, and Matt Bush did an incredible job to come in with the bases loaded and get the final two outs. Again, I'm proud of this Brewers team, and I'm hoping they make it to the playoffs this year. Awesome. Great stuff there, Ricky. Appreciate you calling in. Yeah, that, that ninth inning was stressful, and I see it on Twitter, man. Look, I'm not super active on Twitter as far as like interacting with the tweets that come in. I know that. That's on purpose. I I observe Brewers Twitter, especially the ones that follow me, you know, maybe not quite uh understanding of why moves are made and there's always a reason for correct counsel. And when Matt Bush came into that game last night, I saw a lot of folks overreacting. And and I'll stake myself to his wagon. I have said all offseason long, I believe in Matt Bush. I believe in what he can do. I believe that he's going to continue to throw high leverage innings. And Craig Council believes that. The Brewers believe that. And more importantly, Matt Bush believes that. Okay? And for him to get those two pop-outs in the fashion that he did, man, that's got to exercise some demons for him. Really happy for him. The curveball looked really good in yesterday's game. Fastball command wasn't quite there. But I'm really looking forward to seeing what Matt Bush can do. I'm glad you brought up Joey Weimer. This will lead me into some more of the offensive talk here, Ricky, and to everyone else listening. Joey Weimer... Really ice cold. One for 28 stretch after getting a hit in each of his first seven games as a big leaguer. This is that bump that we've talked about on postgame shows throughout the year, right? There is going to be a book that arrives on all these rookies, right? That first week's success was an anomaly because, look, the best scouts in the world are in baseball. The best coaches in the world are in Major League Baseball. There's not a league better than this. That's why it's Major League Baseball. So... There are guys' literal jobs, guys and gals' literal job to figure out how to get you out. And the book on Joey Weimer is breaking balls. He has seen the most breaking balls by percentage of pitches so far this season in all of baseball. Nobody has seen more breaking balls than Joey Weimer. And going into yesterday's game, Joey hadn't even connected on a hit yet on a breaking ball. Then he gets his first hit on a curveball going the other way from Marco Gonzalez, who was shutting everybody down yesterday. That seemed to get the monkey off his back, because then on a changeup from Gonzalez, he ripped a double down a left field line. So maybe that gets him going in the right direction. Let's also be honest, too, with the Garrett Mitchell injury, Joey Weimer is noticing Tyrone Taylor on his way back right now, and when Tyrone arrives, he is out of options. So in all likelihood, Joey might be the odd man out and get optioned down to AAA Nashville, get his swing back right, and then see what happens moving forward. Because Tyrone Taylor is going to start a rehab assignment next week. Looking at some of the league leaders and stuff like that, some of the stuff I really like about the Brewers' offense is the fact that they're not relying on one guy. right? Brian Anderson has been the guy early. He's got 15 runs batted in to lead the team. That's also in the top six in the National League. Rowdy Telez uh, is tied for fifth in the National League with five home runs. Three of those coming in a 24-hour span in San Diego. He got things going. The Brewers don't really have many guys 
hitting over 300, if any at all, quite frankly. Uh, just double-checking through the team right now. Everyone's flirting with 300 or not quite over the hump for the Brewers. And quite frankly, I don't see them as a team that's going to carry players that are going to hit over 300. But hey, batting average is dead. Nobody cares about batting average every bore. It's about everything else. When I look at this team and I look at their league stats, right, they're one of the best on-base percentage teams at 336. Just to give you an idea, they're at 336. League average is 322. So 14 points better than league average when it comes to on-base percentage. And if you do want to talk about batting average, they're at 257 as a team, which is also 11 points better than league average. The spot where they fall down to league average is their slugging percentage because they haven't hit that many home runs by comparison's sake to last year's team, that is, though, because this team is actually fourth in the National League in home runs hit. And it doesn't feel like it, right? Because they're not, they're not relying on the home run to this point in the season. They were able to get wins without the home run. I mean, yesterday they didn't hit a home run. And they scored five runs out of nowhere off Marco Gonzalez and Matt Brash and the bullpen of the Mariners. That was great stuff. And I look at what William Contreras has done, shooting the ball the other way, still waiting on his first home run as a brewer. That will come. I think the player I'm most excited about right now and what he has been doing, and Sophia Minner mentioned this on the telecast yesterday, Willie Adamas and drawing walks. Willie Adamas has drawn 13 walks already this season. That is tied for the second most he has ever drawn in a month in his big league career. He is not a guy that draws walks. And he's going to strike out. You and I both know that. But the fact that he's got a 365 on base percentage right now, second best on the team, for a guy that also has three doubles and four homers and just set a record for home runs hit by a shortstop a year ago, that's a great development. He set a goal. This is what Sophia mentioned on the air. He set a goal of 70 walks, which would be a career high for him. And that would be averaging 15 or so walks per month. And if he's drawing walks, that means eventually team's going to have to throw him strikes because they know he's learned to become patient and to stay out of chasing and attacking. He will swing and miss at times. But I think that's the major development to watch with this offense right now. Walks and specifically Willie Adamas being able to draw those walks because that has not been part of his game plan previously in his career. That's if, if I could tell you to keep an eye on one thing, it's keep an eye on how much Willie is drawing walks, how much he's working to count, how less frequently he is swinging at the first pitch, and how comfortable he is with two strikes. Really, what a pickup for Brian Anderson. He's got six extra base hits. Seems like he gets knocks whenever he needs to answer the call. The Brewers have a very balanced, contact-oriented approach. And if you may be wondering, why, why, why not Christian Yelich? Why not give some love to Christian Yelich? Yelich, if I've said this over and over, and if you haven't heard me say it, I'll remind everybody. If you're going to watch every Christian Yelich at bat like it's life or death, you're going to drive yourself crazy. There's a reason why you get 650 plate appearances in a baseball season. It's all going to level out. It's all going to be A-OK. I mean, he is still hitting roughly league average right now. League average is in the 230s, but I look at his speed. Uh, he's 4 for 4 in stolen bases. His, he scored from first base like three times now this season on doubles. That's not normal. The speed on this team is so much fun. So much fun. There's range on defense. We'll get into that a little bit later. But the speed, everybody likes it, stolen bases. That's why they brought back these uh, rules to limit pickoffs and 
trying to encourage the running game, and the Brewers are using it to their advantage. In fact, furthermore, they're using it to their advantage defensively, too, in the lack of stolen bases against them. That's something to keep an eye on, too. There are not many stolen bases against the Brewers this season. you got to limit it somehow. So all good things right now for the Brew crew. Uh, we're going to talk about the pitching and give you a kind of a game plan of what's going to happen with Hauser and Wilson and Woodruff and all the injuries happening to the Brew crew right now. And uh, an update on Corbin Burns as well. Stay with us. This is Brewers Weekly. Rolling along here, Brewers Weekly on this Thursday night. We'll be with you until the top of the hour, just before 9 o'clock. A text coming in here from Doug. Yesterday, they were shut down by a left-hander again, but they won. That's not always going to happen. Coming back against the righty, this has to be a concern. What do you think? It's not a concern for me because I know a lot of folks were worried about it going into last year and how much they struggled against lefties a year ago. The way I look at it, they have new personnel in place to play against lefties, right? They went out and tried to make a concerted effort to get a more lineup that's ready to attack left-handed pitching. They can go all righties if they want to. On the flip side of that, though, with this team living and dying by the platoons, you look at this week, right, these next six games, they're only going to face one lefty in this stretch. Eduardo Rodriguez with the Tigers coming up on Monday. And it could be a case of just the fact that you get lulled to sleep by seeing so many righties. There aren't that many lefties coming up either. You'll see probably uh, Tyler Anderson as well when the Angels come to town. So there's another lefty you can probably see. But uh, and Reed Detmers might get a start as well in that series since they're not going to see Shohei Otani. So all of a sudden they'll go from only one lefty in these next six games to maybe seeing two lefties in those three games against the Angels. So maybe just some more reps I think would help. I think the sample size is still a little bit too small. But appreciate the text there, Doug. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620. Here's what the rotation looks like this week for the Brewers. Freddie Peralta will get the start tomorrow in Game 1 against the Red Sox. You can hear that right here on 620 WTMJ. Wade Miley on Saturday against Garrett Whitlock of the Red Sox. Freddie's going up against Nick Pivetta, by the way, tomorrow. And then on Sunday, Corbin Burns making his start as scheduled. No problems at all. He's going to be good to go against Brian Bayo, a young rookie for the Red Sox. Now, Garrett Whitlock, Garrett Whitlock's pretty good. And he's going to be a big part of the future for the Red Sox. But I look at these three games, and the Brewers have the advantage in all three of those starts just with starting pitching. And that's even losing Brandon Woodruff, right? And then the, the Tigers are going to come to town. Look, the Tigers are not very good. And maybe it's a chance for Colin Ray and Eric Lauer to get some more footing moving forward. But these look like it's going to be the five for now. Adrian Hauser threw three innings the other day. He's going to throw again, I believe, tomorrow. I'm going to double-check on that tomorrow when we get to the ballpark. Still with AAA Nashville. Because now the Brewers have to decide, do we stretch out Adrian Hauser to four or five innings to make him be that, in case of emergency, sixth man, like we saw with Jansen Junk and Colin Ray during this past road trip, and to give guys an extra day off and things of that nature? I wouldn't be opposed to it, because all spring training long, he was built up with length, and then the Brewers had to shorten him. The Brewers have always felt it's easier to arrive in spring training thinking you're going to be a starter, even though they probably knew there aren't many starts available to Adrian Hauser this year. But then to say, all right, let's shorten you up, but knowing that you have this in your repertoire in case we need to lengthen you back out, right? So the Brewers are in good shape in that regard as far as 
Is there reinforcements coming while trying to hold on to this Brandon Woodruff injury? Uh, and I think they're in a good spot for it. I think it's going to be okay. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect, but I think it's going to be okay. Another thing to keep an eye on with the hand contusion to Gus Varland after the comebacker over the weekend, there's two guys on the IL right now in Gus and in Adrian Hauser that are going to be imminently returning, right? And the bullpen's full. So what are you going to do with Javi Guerra? What are you going to do? Elvis Peguero would just get optioned back. He has yet to make an appearance in the big leagues. Uh, but there's a decision looming as far as the bullpen being full. A couple of guys that do not have options, right? Guerra, Piomps, Bush do not have options. You're not going to option Peter Shuzlecki of how good he's been. So there is going to be a tough call being made moving forward when Varland and when Hauser returns. The Brewers will have to figure out what to do in that regard. Let's say Hauser returns first. They'll just naturally option Elvis Piguero to make things easier. But when Varland returns, when he feels good to go, that's where the decision comes in. What do you do? Piops has pitched very well. He's impressed some folks since coming, uh, having a really tough spring training. And it's another reminder, too. Spring training stats don't matter. They just don't. It's about getting your work in. Maybe you're throwing only one pitch for the day and the hitter catches on. Spring training stats don't matter. Piomps did not have a good spring training, and he has had a good start to his regular season. And, and then for Eric Lauer, I do want to – one thing of concern a lot of folks I've seen is the talk about his velo being down and, oh, my gosh, what happened to the zoom ball. But if the results are there, I, I'm not going to freak out. There's something called spin efficiency. Let me nerd out with you here for a second. Spin efficiency – is on the grip that you chose and your release point and everything, how well is the ball spinning on that axis? Is there any wobble, right? If you imagine, like, when you're putting, right? If you had a golf ball that was completely colored black on one side and white on the other side, half and half, right? And you put the ball on that line, 100% efficiency of that roll would be a dead straight over, over, you don't see the ball wobble at all, right? The same thing happens when you're spinning a ball in baseball What's the spin efficiency? And when you have efficient spin, the ball carries longer, meaning the ball doesn't fall with gravity on its way to the plate. And that's why you see so many weird swings and misses against Eric Lauer. He has very good spin efficiency. He doesn't have crazy high spin rates to per se, but because the ball spins like it's supposed to in the release point that he gives it at, at the it's a clock angle the way they describe it, you know, I released the ball at 11.15 spin axis. All of this is available on Baseball Savant if you want to get lost in the sauce with me. But basically, because the ball is spinning more efficiently and carrying all the way to the plate, the batter's expecting that ball to drop a little bit more than it is, and it's not. Even though it's 90 miles an hour, it's working. And then you've got the opposite with Wade Miley. He just... Cuts and sinks and cuts and sinks and change up and cut and sink. Curveball cut. Like He's just changing speed so much, keeping him off balance. Lauer's fastball is keeping hitters off balance just because of the fact that they think they can hit it and it ends up in a spot they didn't think it was going to end up. Not because it's moving, but because it's carrying as he hopes it is. I hope that makes sense in podcast and radio form. But again, BaseballSavant.com. You can learn so much about the modern game just clicking around and getting lost on that website. And I read fan graphs every morning. I recommend a subscription to you as well. Uh, It's just great, great advanced stuff that you can learn. Speaking of the advanced stuff, we're going to talk about the defense, specifically some framing. Coming up next, Brewers Weekly rolls on. 
going to talk some defense now. We're with you to the top of the hour. I'm Dom Catronio, 855-616-1620. Again, 855-616-1620, the old National Bank talk and text line. Old National Bank, get old. I tweeted this mini breakdown uh, on Tuesday, and if you haven't seen it, I encourage you to watch it, of how framing stats work and how it's impacted William Contreras and how well he has done in improving his defense to this point in the season. It's been brilliant to watch again. And I want to first and foremost, once again, give credit to William for being ready to learn and take this in stride. But the credit has to go to the team of Walker McKinnon, Charlie Green, Nestor Corridor, Chris Hook, Jim Henderson, and so many other analysts and coaches within the Brewers organization, but the godfathers of the, of the of the breakfast club and of the catching lab, if you will, of Walker McKinvin and of of uh, Charlie Green, it's amazing. They have another success story on their hands. And word has gotten out to Major League Baseball, right? When that trade went down with William Contreras, it was the number one complaint about William. Well, he's not really a defensive guy, and if he's going to be the primary catcher, how is he going to handle that? Well... We've already got our answer. He is stealing strikes. He is doing such a great job. The pitchers are excited to throw to him. And I also give him so much credit for coming into spring training with an open mind. I also want to give a lot of credit to Victor Caratini because Victor Caratini's in the last year of his deal. He's about to be a free agent. You know, this guy's coming in to take more at-bats from him. This guy's going to catch two-thirds of the games this year. So what, what do you? how do you react to that? And Vic, helping him out understanding he is just as important of a coach as the actual coaches to help him learn his pitching staff and get up to speed with what he needs to learn with a Cy Young winner in Corbin Burns, a top-five finisher in Brandon Woodruff, and probably soon to be a top-ten finisher in Freddie Peralta, Devin Williams. I mean, there are so many things a catcher has to keep track of throughout a regular season. And now just throw in a brand-new team where you don't know anybody what a performance by William Contreras. Now, the whole framing numbers on Baseball Savant have not been updated, but by the other two public-facing sites of Baseball Prospectus and Fangraphs, William Contreras is the best framer in baseball. That is insane. Now, a reminder, framing is subjective. Just because you are really good at you know framing strikes does not mean it's guaranteed that you're going to get a strike. You can clank a pitch that's clearly a strike, and get a ball, and vice versa. You could have a great frame, make it look like a strike when it is a strike, but then get called a ball. Right? It just happens. Right? It's still subjective. But the fact that he is stealing more strikes than he's losing is certainly a great development for what the Brewers have going on in 2023. Also, there's another advanced stat bouncing off of the catching called defensive runs saved. And there's a lot of ways that it gets calculated by our friends at Sports Info Solutions just simply put, if you're positive, you're saving runs. If you're negative, you're losing runs with your defense. And once again, the Brewers are the best defensive team in baseball by defensive runs saved. Now, it fluctuates a lot in the first month of the season because sample sizes and things of that nature. But they have been virtually in the top three all season long. It's between them, the, the uh, Diamondbacks, and the Blue Jays all season long. And what the Brewers are doing, it's amazing because Joey Weimer is actually one of the best defensive outfielders to this point in the season. What he has done with his arm, what he has done with ranging the balls. And oh, by the way, know who else has been a sneaky good defender this year? Christian Yelich. Christian Yelich is among the leaders and left fielders for defensive runs saved. And he's been diving for balls. He 
hitting his cutoff, man. That throw he made when he tried to dive for the ball on Tuesday night in Seattle, and then the throw he made from his knees to keep Kelnick at third, dang, I didn't know he had that in him. That was awesome. The defense for this team has been so impressive, and Matty Erickson and everybody in that regard that has helped the infield defense, uh, Pat Murphy is part of that as well, Jason Lane's part of that as well. Great, great, great stuff from them. And Bryce Terang, my goodness, the two plays he made yesterday on Jared Kelnick. I tweeted the second one, the jump throw he made, uh, moving to his right, throwing to first base to throw out Kelnick. I mean, if you look at the dots, right, if you put a dot and a flag in the ground of where he cut off on those baseballs, on those ground balls from Kelnick, I mean, they're 40 yards apart. One in the hole to his left and one to his hole to his right, right? That's not normal for a second baseman to have that kind of range. And furthermore, with this, the no-shift rule, normally with Kelnick up, you would have an overshift for him. So you don't even get a chance to see that kind of play last year. And the fact that the Brewers have a natural shortstop playing second base right now, my goodness, what a serious wealth and just an absolute sickening wealth of defense. Furthermore, when you have Brian Anderson in at third base, and you have Willie at short, Tarang at second, you might have the best infield arms in baseball. All three of them right there. And oh, by the way, Brian Anderson in right field, you see this on Tuesday night in extra innings in the bottom of the 11th to keep the place runner on second base. He threw a ball from right field to third base, 102 miles an hour. 102, according to StatCast. The the hardest throw of the year of anybody. The fourth hardest throw in Brewers StatCast history. Fantastic stuff. Watching him throw is a thing of beauty. It's really fun to watch the defense right now. If you're the parent of a young child in Little League, if you're a parent... Uh, or a coach, for that matter, I would encourage you to bring the kids out, bring your team out, and just tell them to pay attention to the guys pre-pitch. They don't have to pay attention to every single pitch, but watch how they're preparing, watch how they're analyzing, watch how they're moving and behaving themselves on the field to prepare to get themselves into the best spot possible because this team's doing the little things right now that add up into leading baseball in defensive runs saved. The defense has been amazing to watch and so much fun, and it's clinical right now because... You feel like any ball that's hit on the ground, oh, they got this. How many clutch double plays have they turned to, right? They are really, really good on defense, and I hope it's hard to quantify defense, but when you watch it with your eyes, you know they're good on defense. And the the numbers, the advanced numbers, match the eye test to this point in the season. We're going to take a quick breather. We're going to start looking around the rest of the league here in a second. Also look ahead at the schedule. Max Scherzer news, Oakland A's news, a lot of stuff going on around baseball. Another 15 minutes or so left in the show. This is Brewers Weekly. Compare more to fire up here on this Thursday night. I'm Dom Catronio. This is Brewers Weekly. Some odds and ends and some injury notes here. So a reminder, with Garrett Mitchell, Garrett Mitchell, a shoulder subluxation is the preliminary diagnosis. He got imaging today here in Milwaukee. He'll be seen by team doctors today. And tomorrow, I imagine we will get a formal update tomorrow when we arrive to the ballpark from Craig Council, understanding what the imaging said and what the plan of attack would be from there. Um, the big thing with a shoulder sublux is making sure the labrum is intact because a, a subluxation, if you're not familiar, is essentially the, the shoulder popping out of its socket and coming right back in on its own and slightly stretching itself out of the socket. The, the good news is with Mitchell's case 
is the fact that it's his non-throwing shoulder and it's his non-front shoulder when he's hitting. It's his left shoulder, right? So he's a right-handed thrower and a left-handed hitter. With it being the left side, hopefully that would mean he would be able to come back a little bit sooner. There's a bunch of restrictive vests and compression sleeves that you can wear to keep things in its socket. But it's one of those injuries that kind of lingers around. It's like the hamstring strain of the upper body. If you don't nip it in the butt early, it could come back and you lose that integrity of the joint. So we'll learn more tomorrow when it comes to Garrett Mitchell. Want to get to the phone lines. James on the south side. Uh, you're here on Brewers Weekly. What's on your mind? Yeah, how does this team compare to last year, uh, offense, defense, and overall? I think for one offense, it's a different type of offense. Last year's offense is going to hit more homers. This year's offense is going to steal more bases and get more balls in play. But then when it comes to pitching, I think it's relatively equal. Maybe with the edge to the bullpen going to last year's team, just because of the names that you knew with, you know, at least for the first half, Hayter, Brad Boxberger, uh, Trevor Gott was a great story in the first half of the season. Y- Yandel Gustave was solid when they needed him. But then when it comes to defense, I mean, this is the best defense in baseball, you know? And I hate to keep harping on Colton Wong, but Colton's the worst defensive second baseman in baseball right now at negative five defensive runs saved. He's hitting, you know, under 100 right now. And wow. the Brewers took a lot of heat, right? Right, James? Like, they took a lot of heat when they yeah. traded Colton Wong. And they're looking like geniuses right now. No, I just was wondering, yeah, that you know, because uh, it seemed that they, you had a good team. You got a good team right now. It's who fourteen and five. Who in heck would expect fourteen and five from anybody? Like uh, you know, from the Brewers, the way they you know go through uh, these uh, nineteen games. Yeah, exactly. They've been off to a great start. Nobody expected it. I mean, every national rider was saying the Brewers are going to be selling by the. Uh, by the deadline and all this stuff, but that's why you, you listen to us, right? Appreciate the call there, James. That's why you listen to the local stuff. That's why you listen to the local folks and things of that nature. we got to take a break. We're up against it. We're going to take a quick breather and then wrap up the show after this. All right, I've got three minutes left in the show here. I want to part you with three national stories here in baseball. Number one, let's talk about the Max Scherzer debacle with the rosin and everything like that. So, There was, if you missed this on Wednesday, Max Scherzer, after his sticky check in the bottom of the second inning, was asked to clean up his hands. He washed his hands with rubbing alcohol, puts rosin back on his hands, and heads back out there for the third. And then in the bottom of the third inning, he gets stopped again for the sticky check, and they deem him using a foreign substance. And I believe Max Scherzer when he says he was only using sweat and rosin. And if you have never felt sweat and rosin on a hot day like it would be on an afternoon in Los Angeles, it gets sticky. It's the whole point of having rosin on the bag. And he was going to appeal his 10-game suspension that was laid down today, and now he has decided he is not going to appeal that. And you may be wondering, why wouldn't he appeal? He has that right. It's because the arbiter listening to the case would be an MLB official and not an independent arbiter. Meaning, basically, MLB can put whoever they want in there, and he's not going to have a fair trial. So he's a member that's big part of the union and trying to make sure it's fair. I believe Max Scherzer, when he wasn't using anything foreign, that's a story to monitor. But he's going to miss two starts. He's out for the next ten games. That is a massive blow to an already hurting Mets pitching staff. The second big story we're watching today, of course, Fernando Tatis Jr., has returned from his performance-enhancing drugs suspension today. The Padres are playing the Diamondbacks. 
Baseball is going to have an identity identity crisis for the rest of the year when it comes to promoting Fernando Tatis Jr. They're trying to, you know, be bold and be, you know, out there when it comes to promoting Otani, promoting Trout, promoting Judge, the guys that they can. I just want to remind everybody, the players can't stand it when a guy takes PEDs, gets his deal, then gets popped. And if you want to boo the dude, I totally don't blame you. I have my mixed feelings about Fernando Tatis Jr. returning and acting like everything's normal, because it's not. I mean, he got popped for 80 games for a reason. I hope he learned his lesson, but it's going to hang over his career for the rest of his time in the show. And finally, lastly, maybe most important to me, the situation with the Oakland A's right now and uh, officially securing land in Las Vegas with plans to move there for the 2027 season. It's sad. We've seen it coming. They've been dealing with this for years with local politics, city politics, team politics, ownership, things of that nature. Uh, there are a lot of columns out there, a lot of great stuff. I really recommend Mark Kerrigs out of the, the Athletic. Really great stuff. I'm a Bay Area guy. Dad still works with the Oakland A's. And uh, I've seen this situation firsthand. I love Oakland. I love the East Bay. But uh, it still is a little sad whenever you see a city lose its team in the way that it, the Oakland A's are about to lose their team. But the A's are coming in June. We'll learn more then. But pour one out for your Oakland A's fans, all right? Pour one out for the green and gold. That's all I got in this week's Brewers Weekly. My thanks to Justin Pottinger, our producer of the program. I'm Dom Catronio. Until next time, keep on swinging.